Father, help us to be conscious of the fact of rather than worshiping the created things in life and giving the created things our stewardship and our time, may we worship the Creator and give our time, our talents, our treasures, and our praise to you. We thank you this morning for my biker friend and his lovely wife, and we pray your hand of blessing upon the <clears throat> writers, and we pray as we look forward to summer and spring, your, your hand of protection upon those who drive motorcycles in many of our congregation and those by way of television and radio really appreciate our, our blessing of the bikes, which will be the last Sunday in May, the last Sunday in May as the bikes come out and we ask God to bless those riders and, and and the travels that they make during the summer months and your hand of protection and alertness and awareness to of respect and the hands of those who drive cars and trucks and may they be particularly aware of our motorcyclists and our bikers. And Father, we just pray for Elsie Boquist who really needs a touch of God as she goes in for chemo, her first chemo this this week, <clears throat> we, um, we pray that Elsie would be able to return to be with us and as she looks forward to coming to the metro area again, we pray that you have your hand of blessing upon her and encourage her. We thank you for this Super Bowl Sunday as the world gathers and they experience the excitement of a, of a, of a game that you would remind us that um, basically there's a lot of fake news going on from our alphabet stations, the ABC and CBS and NBC, and we just pray that we may be discerners of the times that we live in and we may be alert. We pray this afternoon as we gather with our, our Korean church <clears throat> for meal and food and worship that you'd be with those who are planning on attending. Pray for the many events of this month. We thank you for the safety and security of January and as we look forward to February and the groundhog, I guess, told us this morning that we'd have only six weeks. Um, Lord, you can even shave off a few days in those six weeks. We would be pleasantly surprised by an early spring. We thank you for the opportunity of worship today as you taught us. We pray, Father, that you would bless the scripture. Those who are viewing us by way of television this morning, um, Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 40, and we just pray that scripture would be blessed. And we come before you this morning as you taught us all to pray, saying together, Our Father, 
who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And at this time, Mike is on a kind of a week's vacation and Robin's coming. Robin, you want to come and share? I asked Robin to kind of be a representative of mine to a diversity training. And I had no idea, well, I should have probably had that. There's a lot of division within the United Methodist Church, and you're probably hearing a lot about it and compromising scripture and that. And um, it seems like when they talk about diversity and that, it's, it's um, kind of way over our heads. So, um, Robin, you share, and there's a tendency whenever we speak, we, we, we like to talk fast. And I have to always put the brakes on what I have to say because I have a passion for what I have to say and I try to say it very distinctly, very slowly. Not that you're gonna be challenged to do that, but we wanna hear every word that you have to say. So let's give Robin a round of applause this morning.
Right, and what the call what the word calls flight is not wrong. At the conference I noticed many churches compromise to sin. Homosexuality, we do not want to offend anyone. What the liberal left calls is intolerant, judgmental, offensive, bigoted. When we came into this garbage, we are actually saying Lord and Yahweh that you that we are actually rejecting your teachings. Whereas church starts going that way and doing what is called cafeteria Christianity, so it's John Haiti. We lose sight of who we are as a people, culture, <coughs> the Lord has called us to be, and we are to be a light in darkness. We are to be different. When people see the church and the churches acting like they do drinking, gambling, homosexuality, abortions, when the world when the world sees us doing those great things, the world says, why do I need the word and the church? These people are from the church and they act just like us. So we do not need to change and repent because we cannot tell the difference between the world and the church. When we compromise like, like the world, the lines become so blurred and dangerous because we stand for the word. Does that mean we are judgmental? We hate the person? When, when scripture clearly states in John 2, 11 and John 3, 15, Whoever hates his brother's murder, we are told if you see your brother sin, go to him privately and tell him. If he doesn't change, then bring another person from the church. If that doesn't work, then we're supposed to bring the elders of the church. If your brother repents, you have him back. One thing in the conference I want to touch on is if you are a pastor and you're telling your congregation it's okay to sin and feel the world, you are telling your sheep continue on to where you're at. Yes, you're received by grace, but you also need repentance as well. When we stand up for the Lord, we be persecuted. We see this clearly in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, understand <coughs> the world hated you first. I ask this question to you. Look at the churches in the United States. They are dying. While the churches in the underground, Iran, China, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, ask yourself, why are they thriving and people are coming to the Lord in droves, hundreds, thousands? The underground churches, they do not compromise. They risk their lives and even get killed because they have accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior. They are on fire for the Lord. I hate to say this, it puts us in the United States to shame. They are risking their very lives. Well, here in the United States, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to be the ultra-liberal what calls us the nice female names. Sad is that we the people get so scared of being called the liberal media left names, they can't even compromise their church and also their faith to the Lord. If we call ourselves Christian, then we need to start acting like the Lord and not cave in to what we want to look cool and and proud. In this life, when we die, we have no second chances. When we face the judgment of the Lord, every thought, deed, action, times we get scared, talk about the Lord, we're writing and stand up for Him. The scariest thing can be found in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that will say to me, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does with the fury of my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 7, 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have you not prophesied in your name, and your name cast out demons, and in your name done many wonderful works? 720, Matthew 7.23, we see, and then I will confess unto him, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, that work of iniquity. I don't know about you, but I would rather be in a proper crowd and cater by the world and have the words and have the words seek me well done, good faithful servant, that I never knew you. We live in a time where it is to separate the sheep from the wolves. You need to pick a side. There is no middle ground. Do you want to be on the world, have the Lord as a shepherd, or do you want the world as a shepherd? One, one will lead, one will lead to the Lord, the other will lead you to hell. I know, I know what I choose. The Lord is my shepherd. I've been to hell in my life tonight, and nope, I do not want to go back there. It is a real place. It's not fake or fairy tales. But the choice is yours. Which side are you on? The world side or the world side? Every person has to choose. Those of you listening to podcasts, Twitter, Facebook, cable, and radio, we all have to choose a side, and we cannot be in the middle. It is all or nothing. In closing, I would like to end with Joshua 24, 15. If it seems evil to serve the Lord, choose to whom you serve rather the gods of your fathers serve that beyond the river or the river of God's Amorites and whose land you dwell but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord no matter what. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a round of applause. Amen, amen. Thank you, thank you. Um, if you're joining us by way of television, our scripture lesson is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 40, and I think you've probably seen a, a modern day, a modern day Anna um, just before you, who's just really um, <clears throat> telling it like it is. So let's turn to scripture, Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 40, and if you hear it, all of it, United Methodist Church this morning, you'll find it in your pew Bibles in the New Testament. 59. Number 59. Just put some eye drops in and they're kind of floating around there. It's um, Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 40, pew Bibles, number, page number 59 this morning. God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. There was also a, in other translations, say a prophetess, a prophet, Anna. In the Greek, it's Hannah. In our translation this morning, it's Anna, the daughter of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. And at that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child, which is Jesus, to all who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, transforming grace that you and I can receive through Jesus when we call out to Jesus' name. 
And when they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. In the child, Jesus, much like you and I, are challenged to, to grow and become strong, to be filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon Jesus. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word today. <clears throat> A few points I'd like to emphasize this morning is the character of this holy woman, very holy woman, Anna, or Hannah, before the establishment, it was even before the establishment of Christ's gospel, the good news, and how you and I can kind of replicate this character that was demonstrated by this very godly, godly woman. And then secondly, the description of saints, the saints that were in Jerusalem in the time when Jesus, Jesus was born. And then lastly this morning, um, what clear proof we have that the Lord Jesus was really and truly a human, just as you and I, but at the same time was God, God, God Almighty. The verses that we um, have now read introduce you and I to a servant of God whose name is nowhere else mentioned in the New Testament. The history of Anna, like that of Simeon, who we studied last week, is related only to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke's Gospel, Dr. Luke. And the wisdom that God ordained that a woman, as well as a man, should testify to the fact that the Messiah, the truth, the life, the way was born, we find in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 in the Old Testament that in the mouth of two witnesses it was established that Malachi's prophecy was going to be fulfilled. And the messenger of the covenant had suddenly come to the temple. Let us observe in these verses that there is this godly character of this, this woman, this woman before she established, even before the establishment of the gospel, the good news, before Jesus was to proclaim the good news some 30 years later, he began his ministry. The facts recorded about, <clears throat> about Anna are, are very few and very simple, but in these few characteristics and simple characteristics, it produces a challenge in your life and in my life. I'm reminded of Dr. Billy Graham. He was questioned once about the, the Bible, and he said, well, there's enough in the Bible that I read and I understand and I don't do. Why try to bite off those things that we really don't understand? Because you and I, we understand many things in the Bible, the Word of God, and we sometimes are really challenged to do those things. The facts about Anna are very few and simple, but we shall find them full of our instruction. Anna was a woman of, of irreproachable character. Are you and I 
of irreproachable character. After the Bible says that after a married life of only seven years duration, she had spent some 84 years as a lone widow. The trials, if you can imagine the trials, the desolation, the temptations as such a condition were probably very great on Anna. But Anna, by this transforming grace, overcame them all. And according to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 5, Anna answered to the description that was given by St. Paul. She was a widow, a widow indeed. Anna was a, was a, was a woman who loved God's house. Do you and I have a passion to love, to love God's house? She, it says, departed not from the temple. Anna regarded the temple as a place where God especially dwelt, that almost like a congregation and influence that you and I believe in, that wherever two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name, he is here. Wherever two or three are gathered together, Jesus is here. Anna regarded the temple as a place where God especially dwelt and towards, towards which every pious, every pious Jew in foreign lands like Daniel loved to draw his prayers, draw his prayers on the multitude of prayers and praise that God said. And according to the psalmist in the 84th Psalm, the second verse, Near to God, near to God. I trust that's your passion and your ambition today in this coming week to be near to God. Can you say that with me? Near to God, near to God. Was the desire and the passion of the heart of Anna. And Anna felt that she was never so near to God as, as within the walls which contained the ark of the covenant, the altar, and, and the holy of holies. Anna could enter into David's words, according to the psalmist, my song, my song, and my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, fainteth for the courts of the Lord. Now, it's been a long time since I've had someone faint during my services. It's, it's happened a few times. We've um, had to call EMTs, and <clears throat> I just kind of go on preaching, and I'll say, will you look at the person that's fainted, or look at the person that's passed out? Let's try to do as much as possible, and then, but call 911, and we've called 911, and we just, we just go on. <clears throat> now, Anna was a woman of great self-denial. Do you find yourself... Characteristic of self-denial. We live in a, a kind of a me generation that we need everything right now. We, we want to have everything kind of microwaved. It's got to be instantaneous. Lord, give me patience and give me patience right now. It says she served God with fast, fastings both night and day. 
She, Anna, was continually crucifying the flesh and, and keeping it in subjection by this voluntary abstention. Being fully persuaded in her own mind that the practice was helpful to her soul, she spared no pains to keep it up. Anna was a, a woman of much prayer, are, are we? Do we find prayer important? Or is it just something that we call on and as kind of a fire insurance or when we need it? It said that she's, she prayed, she served with God both night and day. She was continually in communion with God. And God, God was Anna's best friend in about the things that concerned her own peace. Anna was never wary of pleading with God on behalf of others. And above all, she prayed for the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah, that the Messiah that had been promised in the Old Testament by a number of the prophets, that this prophet, Anna, would see, would see the fulfillment of the redemption of all humankind. Anna was a woman who held communion with other saints, and as soon as she had seen Jesus, as Jesus, as a young child, was brought and dedicated by his parents, Joseph and Mary, to the temple, it says she began to speak. She began to speak often of Jesus to others whom she knew in Jerusalem and with whom she was evidently on friendly terms with. There was this bond of union between her and all who enjoyed this same hope, this hope of expectation, a sense of fulfillment of the kingdom of God that was within. Scribes and the Pharisees thought there was going to be this kingdom without. But before there's peace in the world, there has to be peace in the hearts of the people. Before there's peace in the political parties, or peace in the church. They need to be at peace with God. They were ser servants of the same master, and they were travelers to the same home and destination. And Anna received this risk, rich reward for all her diligence in God's service before Adam, Anna, before Anna, Anna left and departed from this world. Anna was allowed to see Jesus, who had been so long promised, and for whose coming she had often so prayed for and fasted for. Anna's faith was at last changed to sight. She had walked to that temple so many times in faith, but her faith was turned into, changed into sight, and her hope to certainty. It says that in 1 Peter chapter 1, 8, <clears throat> that the joy of this holy woman must indeed have been unspeakable and full of glory. It would be well for all Christians to ponder the character of Anna and learn wisdom from it. The times, no doubt, are greatly changed. The social duties of the Christians are very different from those of the Jewish believer at Jerusalem. All are not placed by God in the same condition of being a widow. 
But still, after every deduction, there remains much in Anna's history which is worthy of imitation and using her as an example and imitating her life and her beliefs. Now, when we read of her consistency, tremendous consistency, she, she didn't let anything keep her from gathering with God's people at the time and, and in a sense of holiness and in prayerfulness and in her self-denial, we, we cannot but wish that many sons and daughters of our Christian church would strive to be like Anna. Let us observe secondly in these verses the description that was given of saints, the saints in Jerusalem in the time when Jesus was born. They, it says they were all people who looked for redemption. They, they, they looked for this sense of transforming grace. And I've mentioned many times that if you have difficulty understanding grace, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. You take the G-R-A-C-E and, and you break it down into God's riches at Christ's expense. Faith, we shall always find, is the universal character of God's elect and God's chosen. These men and women, boys and girls, were described that they were dwelling in the midst of, of a wicked city, a wicked state of the time. They, they walked by faith and they, they delighted now to, to no longer walk in faith, but they walked by sight. They, they were not carried away by the flood of all the worldliness. And sometimes, you know, I think we're all swamped by the worldliness that's around us, all the formality, all the self-righteousness around us and those who want a grandstand. They were not affected by the carnal expectations of a mere worldly worldly leader or a worldly messiah in which most Jews of that day indulged in. They, they lived in the faith of the patriarchs and prophets that, that the coming redeemer, this transformer of grace would bring in a sense of holiness and righteousness, an internal kingdom of peace within and that his principal victory would be over sin and would be over the devil. For such a redeemer... They waited patiently for such a victory they earnestly longed for. How about you and I? Do we long for the second coming of Christ? Do we say, come, Lord Jesus? Say it with me. Come, Lord Jesus. Let us learn a lesson from these good people. If they, if they with so few helps in their day and, and so, so many discouragement, lived such a life of faith, how much more ought you and I, we, with this, with this finished Bible, this finished Bible and a, and a full gospel, let us strive like them to walk by faith and, and look forward. Now the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ is yet to come. The complete redemption, the completeness of this transforming grace of this earth from sin and Satan and, and the curse is yet to take place. Let us declare plainly by our lives and our conduct that by this second advent, this come Lord Jesus, we, we look for and we long for. We may be sure that the highest style of Christianity, even now, 
is this waiting for redemption according to Romans chapter 8 verse 23 and 2 Timothy chapter 4 8 this waiting for redemption and this love of the Lord's reappearing and then let us look lastly in these verses what clear proof what clear proof that we have that the Lord Jesus was really was really a true human just as you and I are truly human, but he was as well God. We read that when Mary and Joseph returned to their own city, Nazareth, that Jesus, Jesus grew and waxed strong in spirit. And that's our daily challenge. Do we grow and, and are we waxing? Are we growing and stronger in the spirit of God? Are we being led more in the spirit of God? There is there is doubtless much that is deeply mysterious in the person of Jesus Christ, how this same person could be at once perfect God and yet perfect human is a point that necessarily passes, passes our understanding in what manner and measure and in what proportion at the early, the early part of his life. That divine knowledge which Jesus had doubtless possessed, was exercise, and, and we cannot possibly explain. It's, it's a high thing. We cannot attain unto it. But one thing, one thing, however, is perfectly clear, and we shall do well to lay firm hold upon it, is that our Lord partook, Jesus partook, of everything that belongs to human nature. All the frustrations, all the, all the things that you and I walk and are tempted to do, but, but sin, was, sin was never accepted by him. As humans, we are born in an infant state. As humans, we grow from infancy to teenage and adulthood. As a person... We yearly increase in bodily strength and mental power during our passage from youth to full age. And of all the sinless conditions of human body, it's, it's first we are kind of feeble. We creep. We crawl. It's after its growth, its regular progress to maturity, we, like Jesus, become that fullest sense of partaking. We, we must rest satisfied with knowing this, that to pry beyond this is useless. To, to know this clearly is of much importance. And a want of settled knowledge of it has led to many, many wild heresies and cults. Now, one concluding practical lesson stands out on the face of this truth which ought never to be overlooked, that our Lord Jesus Christ is able to sympathize with you, yes, you, in every stage of our existence from the cradle to the grave. He sympathizes with you to the, from birth to death, the cradle to the grave. Jesus knows by experience the nature and the temperament of we as children, we as teenagers, we as young and Old, older people, Jesus stood in our place. 
Jesus has occupied all of our possession in possessions. He, Jesus knows our hearts, and let us never forget this in dealing with, with young people and old people about their souls. Let us never tell them confident that, that there is one in heaven at the right hand of God who is exactly suited to be our friend, to be your friend, to be my friend. That Jesus who died on the cross was, was once a baby, was once a young person himself, and, and then feel this special interest in boys and girls today and as well as grown-up people. Father God, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and those by way of television and by radio, we look forward to this transforming grace in our own lives. That whether we're baby Christians or more mature Christians, whatever place on the road and how far down the road we've gone in our Christian walk, we need to be constantly led of the Spirit. We live in a fallen world, which we find so much tremendous fake news and fakeness and artificiality around us that people can talk the talk, but they have great difficulty in walking and walk. With every head bowed and every eye closed this, this morning, would you repeat with me, dear Jesus, help me to be led of your spirit. Forgive my sins, O Lord. Inspire me, O Lord. Will the fulfillment of your spirit help me to look forward to your coming to be prepared in Jesus' name? Amen. At this time, as we um, prepare for communion, I mean for, well, a great sense of communion, taking up the offering as we commune with God and the breaking of his word. We um, turn to our, our offertory prayer. If you'd be so kind to um, read this prayer with me, print it in your bulletins. Holy God, as we bring our tithes and offerings to your altar, we confess that many of us have longed to be wise with money, as the world understands it, accumulating and building our balances and our portfolios. The Apostle Paul has called us to live in ways that often seem foolish to the world. And we know that means being seen as extravagant in generosity and reckless in our compassion. Help us on the journey to loosen our grip on our money and positions and live the compassion to which your Son has called us. In his name we pray. Amen. As the ushers come forward this morning, if you'd be so kind to turn to the offertory hymn, Be Still My Soul, as we remember our Korean congregation and our gathering this afternoon. Be still, my soul, purple number 534, please. <coughs>
God of redemption and transforming grace. This morning we remember the many needs that we all have, anticipatory needs of this coming week, and as well as the needs of those by way of television and radio, though there was nothing in your son that needed. We know our insides are not that clean. We have dark, dirty corners that cannot be redeemed through gifts of money or good deeds, but only as we accept and acknowledge your gifts of grace, transforming grace through Christ, can we be made clean, healthy, and whole. As we give this morning those who are dependent upon your grace, and we pray that our gifts would help others know the cleansing power of grace as well. In the name of Christ, who died for us, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have an announcement and you'd like to make it, you know, clear it with our praise team this morning. Um, if not, you know, there's a number of people that, that are going um, this afternoon uh, to the Korean church. I think we need to be there about 12.15. I think it's a 12.30 worship service. Immediately following, there's a meal. Mike, did you have a word? Yeah. I thought some of what Pastor Randy had said. I just thought about this. How magnificent, how miraculous, how absolutely stunningly incredible God is. His simple promise. One of the many promises he made in the Bible. Wherever two are gathered, there he is. We're gathered here in Robbsville. They're gathered in St. Paul. They're gathered in New York. They're gathered in Los Angeles. They're gathered overseas, in England, in Africa. He's there. I just, I'm sorry, I just, I can't even comprehend that. That is so beyond my, I can't even fathom that. But he is. He's everywhere at one time. That is how wonderful and magnificent our God is. Where two are gathered, there he is. Amen. Thank you, Mike. And Mike's going to be hitting the light on the food committee and kind of testing the food this <laughs> afternoon. Uh, I've already done the pre-test. <laughs> All the pre-test. It kind of reminds me of the fact I had funeral services for Adolf Hitler's, you know, food testers. Can you imagine a parent, a parent saying that it's an honor for my children to test the food that could possibly be poisoned? Present, prevent the death of Adolf Hitler, but would cause the death of their loved ones. You know, so much tribute is given at that time, you know, and what kind of tribute do we give to the Lord? Times that much. No, a thousand. A million? A million. Amen. <laughs> you want to take us out, Mike?
Yeah, I don't know what's supposed to be.